So, this morning, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14, we're going to continue walking through um, the gospel of Mark, and we're following in Jesus' footsteps. He's always in forward motion. Now, one of my favorite scenes from an old show, uh, the Andy Griffith Show, is when Barney Fife is in church, and he finds it really, really hard to stay awake during church. Now, I know that none of our people have any problem with that, right? Right. Um, <clears throat> so, I've been, I, I've, I've been to several different churches. I've preached in many different churches, and I've had people fall asleep at many different times. The best one for me was we had, uh, at the last church I was at, before we had gotten chairs, we had the old oak wooden pews. And I had one of the old men, uh, he, he would always lay there, and he wore his cowboy boots. He'd kick his feet back, and he'd just kind of lean back. And he was paying attention, but then felt, would fall asleep. Inevitably, every other Sunday, Don was asleep. And I remember one time he, he had his feet kind of like this, and I'm not going to do it because I'll fall back on my face. But he jumped, he, he fell asleep, and he kicked back, and his boot kicked the bottom of that pew and woke, it just, it woke everyone else up that was asleep too. Um, <laughs> But it was, it was absolutely hilarious because he was, he was so apologetic, he couldn't believe that he did that. But I know that none of you have a problem falling asleep uh, during church. Uh, one pastor was emphasizing the importance of not falling asleep in church. And with impeccable timing, one of his congregants, congregants spoke up and said, that's more on you than on us, pastor. <laughs> yeah. But here's the thing, I take comfort I take comfort in the fact that I'm not the only preacher that has had people fall asleep during their messages. If you go to, to Acts, if you go to Acts chapter 20, we read a story there of a long-winded apostle Paul who was preaching all night long. And there was a young man that was up sitting in a window, and he, was, he, he fell asleep and fell out of the window, and he died. And so Paul, I think without skipping a beat, he gets up, he goes over, he sees the young man, he's still preaching his sermon, he wakes him back up from being dead, and then goes right on preaching the rest of the night. I'm pretty sure he never fell asleep. That young man probably never, never fell asleep again in another sermon. I'm almost positive of that. But I take great you know, confidence in knowing that I'm not the only one that that's ever happened to. I'm not going to keep you all night, I promise. I'll get you out before everyone else. But as we continue to walk through this, Jesus has left the upper room, and he is taking his disciples, and the 11 disciples are now going over. They've left Jerusalem. They're down in the Kidron Valley. They're walking back up the other side into the Mount of Olives. And as they're, as they're going down the valley, they're coming back up on the other side. Passover always falls on a full moon. And, and the, the light would have been shining absolutely bright at this time. Shadows would have been all over the place. And so Jesus walks them quietly. He's getting away from the city. And, and he is taking this time to just spend it with his father and with those that were closest to him. I believe that there are several different scenes in this narrative in Mark chapter 14. We're going to start in verse 32. The first one that we see here is there's a place of support. It's a place of support. Look at verse 32. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. Now, now Jesus wanted his disciples to be with him. And, and so they go in and he takes them to the Olive Garden. 
it means that Gethsemane actually means the olive press. Now, if you've never studied much on this or know anything about this, there was probably an olive press that was set up somewhere in this garden along the Mount of Olives and probably right here. And as we go through this, there were three different pressings that would happen to an olive. So in order to to get olive oil, there would be a pressing that would happen. And Jesus is going to have these three pressings that are going to happen to him as well. The first pressing um, of the olives was just a nice, easy push down on them. And this was the, the extra virgin olive oil. This was the best of the best. This, this is everything that they would want to have. And, and it would be used for anointing kings. Uh, I mean, it was this, this was the best of the best. But then there would be a second pressing that would happen. A little bit more weight would be pushed down. And this second pressing is where you would get the olive oil for cooking and, and for other things around the house. But then there would be the third and the final hard pressing that would happen of these olives. Now when this third pressing would happen, it would smash everything out of the olive. And there would be oil that would be in there, obviously, but then there would actually be parts of the olive that would get through there. Now this was the very lowest of low. Um, and, And this pressing to get every last drop out was used for burning candles and all of this. But there were three pressings that would have happened during this time. But Jesus wanted to go with his disciples into this olive garden, into Gethsemane. Luke chapter 22 verse 39 indicates that Jesus spent a lot of time here. It was probably very, very quiet. I don't know about you, but that's something that I really like. I, I love to be around people. I love to, to talk with people. But there are times that I just need to be alone. I go into the woods. I go by the lake. I, I, I go somewhere where there's no one else, and it's just me and God and just the beauty of his, his nature. And when I see all of that, it just sets me back, and it re, it. it it just sets me, resets me where I need to be. And Jesus here, this is the place where he spent a lot of time. And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. Now it's interesting that as Jesus is preparing for his suffering, where is he at and who is he with? He wants his friends to be with him. Well, we don't think much about this, but Jesus himself God, incarnate, wanted fellowship. He wanted friendship. Jesus tells the disciples, sit here while I pray. And this is the ministry of presence. And here's the thing, we all need this. There's times where a friend of ours, a faith, excuse me, a family member, just wants us to be with them. Just be with them. You don't have to talk. You go sit in the emergency room and you're just there holding their hand and you're just there in silence. It's called the ministry of presence. And that's exactly what Jesus needed. He had a place of support in Gethsemane. He wanted his friends to be with him the whole time. The second scenario that we see is this is also a place of sorrow. It's a place of sorrow. Look at verse 33. 
Who did he take with him? Jesus took with him Peter and James and John. So he brings all 11. Now he's going to leave those eight kind of on the outside uh, of the garden. They're there, but he's going to take these other three a little bit further with them. Jesus brings the three guys that made up the inner circle deeper into the garden. He desired their companionship, but I also believe that he was preparing them for future leadership. He was preparing them for what they were going to face just a little bit later. I also believe that he brings these three with him for another reason. Because Peter had just boasted that he would never bail on Jesus. James and John, they said, Jesus, we want to sit at your right and your left. We, we will never give up on you. We are here with you to the very end. And Jesus says, if you really want to know what it means to be in the inner circle, I'm going to show you. Now Jesus gives them a chance to back up their words. Next we read this, that Jesus be, began to be greatly di, di, distressed and troubled. Now let's unpack this for just a second. The first thing that he says is he was greatly distressed, extremely alarmed, appalled. The idea is that Jesus is shuddering in distress. He is terrified with astonishment. And we go, no, not my Jesus no, not, not, not my Jesus. He was never afraid. He was never fearful. I believe in this case, when it says that he was greatly distressed, he knew what was coming, and we're going to keep going with this. So he was greatly distressed. He was also troubled. It refers to being overwhelmed in extreme anguish, heavy-hearted, and depressed. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says that Jesus offered up prayers of supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from much death. You see, the Savior is experiencing the awful intensity of what we read in Psalm chapter 55. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And then we come to verse 34. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. This is where we get our word periphery. It means to be surrounded by overwhelming sorrows. Jesus has an overwhelming sorrow around him. He is troubled. He is greatly depressed. He is sorrowful. Psalm 88 verse 3 says, For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Shiloh. Isaiah 53 verse 10 says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Then we go to verse 12 and it says that the Savior poured out his soul to death. You see, during this time of sorrow, Jesus asked these three, he's left the eight, he's brought the three, Peter, James, and John, he's brought them further inside, and what does he say to them? He says, remain here and watch. Remain here and watch. It's in the present tense. The word remain means to abide. It means to watch. And it has the idea of being alert. He says, I want you guys to be alert for what's about to happen. Jesus already knows, right? But he wants them to see what's going on. He wants them to see what's happening in this moment. So, we have a place of sorrow. Now we have a place of, of solitude. 
The eight disciples are somewhere near the entrance of the garden. The three are allowed to go a little bit deeper, but then Jesus leaves them. Look at verse 35. And going a little further, he fell on the ground. So now he's left those three, and he says, listen, I want you to be close to me, but I need to get away just a little bit further. Jesus is now completely alone, and he falls on his face in reverence and awe before his heavenly Father. He knows what's about to happen. He's trying to get himself prepared for what's going to happen. You see, Jesus alone is the only one that can bear the wrath of a holy and righteous God. When people in the Bible were serious about seeking God, they often hit the ground. Uh, according to Genesis chapter 17, verse 3, Abraham fell on his face before entering a covenant with, with God. We read in Numbers chapter 16, verse 22, how intense Moses and Aaron were when they interceded on behalf of the people and they fell on their faces. So now we have Jesus going a little bit further into the garden and now we have, number four, a place of struggle. A place of struggle. Look at the second half of verse 35. It reveals this struggle of the Savior. And he prayed that if it were possible the hour might pass from him. When Jesus sees and senses the totality of all the sin of the entire world, the resulting penalty and punishment that awaits him, he says, pass. So, so it, there has to be another way. Please, Lord, take it from me. I can't do it. He's greatly distressed, full of sorrow. It is completely surrounding him at this moment. Not my Jesus, absolutely your Jesus. We see Jesus at this moment in his full humanity. Yes, he's fully God. Yes, he knows, and we're going to get to that in just a second. But we see Jesus being fully human at this moment. During all that Jesus is going through, I absolutely love how he addresses God the Father. Look at verse 36. And he said, Abba. That's right. Daddy. Abba, Father. All things are possible with you. He is on his face. And he is pleading with his dad. How many of you, if you can remember back to your childhood, ever just needed dad? Mom was always the one to kiss the wound and, and to put a, to, to a Band-Aid on it, but not in this case. Here, we have something completely different that is happening. He says, Dad. In the middle of verse 36, Jesus gets specific in his request. He says, remove this cup from me. The word cup in the Bible was figurative for God's blessing and was also used to describe his almighty wrath. Inside of this cup, judgment, redemption, and wrath. Jesus is saying, if there's any other way, let me do it that way. Why? Because of sin. Why should I remove this? Because of sin. That was the biggest thing. This was something that we can't imagine. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus knew that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 21 was about to be fulfilled. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. That in him we might become the righteousness of God. If the cross is not preached, the gospel is not proclaimed. There are so many pastors right now that are preaching these, this felt need sermon. 
And we need to get to the truth. Sin is real. Hell is real. And I want to go to heaven. But here's the thing. We need to make sure that we are doing exactly what we're called to do. Not these felt, oh, God loves you so much. That's right. We need to preach the gospel. Suffering. He knew suffering was about to happen. Isaiah 51, verse 22, calls it the cup of staggering. Jesus certainly suffered incredibly on the cross, and we know that. But I truly believe, and I I have said this, and I believe it, when I was there in Jerusalem, I was in the Mount of Olives, I was in Gethsemane, uh, approximately, right behind him was Bethany. He had friends. He saw the torches coming. He knew what was about to happen to him, and Jesus could have ran. This is the ultimate suffering because Jesus could have taken off. Our souls were one right here in the garden because this is where Jesus made his stand. And then we have ultimately, we come down to verse 37, and he came and found them sleeping. He says, hey, keep watch. We know what's about to happen, but I want you to keep watch. Verse 37 says, And he came and found them sleeping. He said to Peter, Simon, you are asleep. Could you not watch for one hour? Peter just declared that he would never deny Christ, and now he's ruling on his pillow or his rock, whatever it was. In verse 38, Jesus gives a command to the drowsy disciples. He says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. This is the idea that we are to keep watching, keep praying, and don't cave, and don't compromise. We have to hold our ground. As Christians, we have to hold on to who we are. It's interesting how this prayer Uh, prepared Jesus to fulfill his purpose. We see this in John chapter 12, verse 27. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. At this point, again, this is the moment that Jesus is going to take his stand. And we have verse 5, or we have number 5, a place of submission. As Jesus anticipates the cup of sin, suffering, sacrifice, separation, and salvation, he verbalizes his submission to the Father's plan. Look at verse 36. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This is the ultimate goal of our prayer, right? Because every time we pray, what do we do? We want to pray for ourselves. We want to pray that everything happened for my benefit. But the ultimate the, the, the ultimate of prayer is that we just give up and we say, not what I want, Lord, but what you want. Matthew 26, verse 42 says, My Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. The first time that Jesus prayed, he says, if it is possible. And now he prays, if this cannot pass. He's ready to take his stand. You see, at the beginning, Jesus expressed his own desire. This is what I want. Lord, let it pass. But now he submitted his desires to the Father's will. Not my will, but your will be done. Number six, a place of sleep. While Jesus is surrendering, the disciples are sleeping. Look at verse 39 through 40. 
And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. What? Huh? What, what's going on? Like, they've been, listen, it's been a, a, an extremely hard day for them, stressful beyond belief. We can fall into their shoes. We've been in this place, extreme stress in our lives before. This just shows us how much stronger Jesus was than we are and who we should always look to. You see, while Jesus is surrendering, the disciples are sleeping, and we need to be very, very careful of that. They had nothing to say to the Savior because no explanation was sufficient. They were mute in the face of majesty. Look at verse 41. And he came the third time and he said to them, are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The word enough simply means that it is paid in full. Jesus is taking our place. Jesus says the account is closed. I'm heading to the cross. At this moment, he is completely strengthened. And that's our final point here this morning. Jesus says, it is done. It is finished. Now it's time to get up and to face his accusers. And he's ready to head to the cross. After surrendering, Jesus has been strengthened according to verse 42. It says, rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Now we've got to go to Luke chapter 22, verse 43, where it says an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. At this moment, Jesus is ready to go. He has been strengthened, he is fully prepared, and he stands up and says, here comes the torches, I told you to watch out for them. Here they come. My betrayer, Judas, is at hand, and that's what we're really gonna go into next week. When Jesus got up from this place of prayer, he had a spirit of resolve and assurance that he was ready to go to the cross. Jesus is going to meet his foes not as a victim. He's gonna meet his foes as a victor. And he stands up and he goes before them already knowing that victory is at hand because he knows what's about to happen. The, the, the drowsy disciples, they're given two commandments, rise, and go. Look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 2. Jesus speaks to the sleepy saints of Sardis. He sleeps, he speaks to the sleepy saints in Stafford. He says, Wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Jesus here is speaking, and he says, Hey, y'all saints, wake up. Get going, get ready, get out there and do your job. Yeah, it's the pastor's job. Yeah, it's the elder's job. Yes, it's all of the leaders that are running other ministry. It's their job. But guess what? It is every single one of you because every single one of us are saints. Every single one of us have a job to do. We need to talk to our neighbor. We need to talk to our family. We need to talk to our coworker, even the one that chews their gum extremely loud and we don't like. We need to talk with them. We need to share the gospel with them. They, we, we need to say to them, 
<clears throat> excuse me, the same thing that Andrew said to Peter. What did he say to what did he say to his brother? Come and see. Come on. Hey, come, come, come with me. There's something I, I don't understand these. These, these Christians, I don't understand it, but we need to go check it out. And when people see us, they need to know that something's different. You see, the process of prayer in Gethsemane, it's instructive for us as well. When we're facing trials and temptations, look for support from others. Pour out your sorrow. Find some solitude struggle with God openly. Jesus did that. He said, God, Father, I, I know what's inside of your cup. It is wrath, and it is judgment, and it is sin, and it is penalty, and I don't want any of it. But you know, when Jesus looked inside of that cup, there was one other thing that was deep inside of that cup. Salvation. Your salvation was inside of that cup the very bottom, beyond the judgment, beyond the wrath, beyond the penalty, your salvation was in there and Jesus drank from that cup and Jesus is going to face his betrayers. Jesus is going to be our victor. He's going to go to the cross. He's going to conquer the cross. He's going to conquer sin. He's going to conquer death. He's going to conquer the grave. He's going to conquer Satan. And guess what? We get to stand in victory with him. I want to close with these words from Max Licato. Then we're going to take communion. You're going to notice that on the sides, we didn't put any up front. So it's on the back and on the sides. It's the same cups as last week. It's the good bread, as somebody called it. Um, but there's two cups, so be careful. The top one is your juice. The bottom underneath um, is, is where your bread is. And I'm going to pray for us. And after I pray, we're going to continue to um, just have that moment of silence. I want you to get up and, and go and, and, and get your communion. Bring it back to your, your, your chair so you can stand wherever you need to stand. Thank God for his son. He is our victor. And if you have any decision that you need to make this morning, we're going to continue to worship after we take communion. And communion is part of worship. We're going to sing a couple more praise songs. I'm going to be in the back and, and uh, the elders are going to be in the back with me. I want to close with these words, though, from Max Plato, and then we'll pray. The battle was won. You may have thought that it was won on Golgotha. It wasn't. You may have thought that the sign of victory is the empty tomb. It isn't. The battle we won in Gethsemane, the battle was won in Gethsemane. And the sign of conquest is Jesus at peace in the olive trees. For it was in the garden that he made his decision. He would rather go to hell for you than go to heaven without you. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful that you have given us the opportunity to worship you. Father, that we can sing songs of praise to you. That we can read your word. That we can strengthen one another that we can partake of communion. Father, we see so many awesome things happening. We know you're in control. And Father, as we have read through Mark chapter 14, we are seeing the true humanity of your son, Jesus. And I'm so thankful for that because it shows me that even in my weakness, 
that I don't have to give up. Even at my lowest point that you were in control. And Jesus died for me. That my sin was set free as Jesus looked inside of that cup and he decided to go to the cross anyways. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you give to us. Thank you that we get to take of this bread and this juice. We remember that it is you who gave your son for us. Father, it is awesome to serve you. We pray this in your son's most holy and precious name.